prayer requests and go right to our work. It's going to be um, already late. Um, I want to. I'm going to. I'm going to deal with something. By the way, this is a warning for everybody today, as if you need it. Um, I'm going to deal with something really heady today, and I know it. Um, I can hear Scott Immel when he was first coming to these when we were doing the Elite and the Odyssey you know, before we kept going after the first week he looked up in shock after or towards the end of our first time together and he said I think you all know this I came for water and I got a fire hydrant <laughs> sorry I don't know what to do about it you're just stuck with me but it, um, I, I'm, I don't want any more talk. I just Please, something I to replace it. No, I, I don't want anything. Okay. I'm fasting. You know that. I'm trying to... Um, I'm going to deal with something a little bit heady. I hope it goes well. And if, um, if I'm not expecting that everybody's going to have a revelation. or but I, But I hope... It has something to the effect that it has on me when I think about it, because I look at it and I'm amazed. But when we get there, you'll see. <clears throat> anyway, I'd like to I'd like to go back to the reading. And what was the reading? Oh, the reading. Remember, the reading today was the reading we did when we did the Protestant world. It's the it's that scene in which Christ asks the disciples, "Who do the people say he is?" and they can't answer, and then he says, ask the disciples, and says, who do you say that I am, and they can't answer, and then he goes to Peter and says, who do you say I am, and Peter says, you are the Christ, and I'm, I'm just, I'd never seen that until I did this Protestant thing with you guys, and it just blew me away. You, I talked about that, didn't I, a, a good bit, that that's one of the taking of the auspices moments, you know what that means now, right, the taking of the auspices, is everybody clear on that? Can I have some acknowledge? Yes or no? Please. If anybody doesn't say no, anybody, give us some quick overview. Taking of the auspices. Remember, in the pagan world, Odysseus has it. Odysseus has it. Um, towards the end, I, I, it happens a good number of times in the epics. Towards the end of the Odyssey. Um, remember, Odysseus is up all night. Um, he's he's got the battle the next day on his mind. He's going to confront the suitors, and it's he's going to be facing a possible death. So he's troubled, and um, and suddenly there's and he's he's remembering the Cyclops episode, and says, "Bear up, my heart." And then he hears this cry from this mill woman who's crying out and she says these suitors have, this, this, is, this is Homer, and so it's interesting. You don't put it together, you'll miss it. He's thinking about the, the Cyclops, remember he, the Cyclops ate his men. The mill woman is saying, a curse on these men, they have ground down our lives these 20 years. That is, they ground them into mill. She's a mill woman, she provides the bed, bread. So what she's saying is, these men have eaten our, us up. She makes this curse, and Odysseus takes it as an omen. The gods are, and then I think it's been so long now. I think a moment later, the, the sky rumbles. 
he takes that as a confirmation that the gods are confirming it. One that's memorable in the Aeneid is when Aeneid, Aeneas arrives at Rome in the Tiber. He's, this is interesting, at night again. He looks across the, the river and he sees the, 30, the piglet with the 30 sows. Remember, that's an image of Rome. The image of Carthage with the war horse. The image of Rome was a, a pig with her nursing. So the character of Rome is going to be nurturing, common, not this noble ideal of the Greeks. Very common, ordinary, look down on it. But that's because it makes a place for everybody. So he looks at it and he sees it as a vision. And right now I can't remember the confirmation. But a moment later a confirmation is given. And he knows that that's the site where, to indicate that he's home and this is where Rome will be built. So a taking of the auspices, an auspices is given, and you take it, you confirm it, you look for a confirmation, because you know, we all know, that people with strong religious imaginations can believe God is doing this, or, and objectively it's not true. I mean, so th they look for the confirmation to show that they're not just out of their minds, they're not just imagining or wishing something to be holy or divine, or, you know, because it's so easier for us to make that jump. Everybody following me? So the taking of the auspices was not a small thing. It was one of the ways the gods communicated with men and that men understood something from the gods. Odysseus got a good omen about the next day. He's going to go to battle with the suitors. Aeneas knows he's home. So they're not small moments, okay? Now keep that paradigm in mind of the taking of the auspices. <clears throat> Christ says, what do the people say I am? Nothing. The disciples, who do you say I am? Nothing. Peter, who do you say I am? Peter says, you're the Christ. God, I mean, that just, I can't tell you how that shakes me. I cannot, cannot, just knowing that. There it is. There's an omen. Father, that's a revelation or an inspired moment, right? There's an inspired moment. Who confirms it? Who confirms it? This, how do we know Peter's not out of his mind? Christ. Christ. Christ confirms it. The head of the church. That moment is the founding of our church. Upon this rock. So this is studying. Bef Omen? Nobody gave that to you. That's from your my father. And then he says, on this rock. So the head of the church himself confirms the auspices. Are you following? That's amazing to me. That's And who reads it? Protestant world will read that passage and never see it. How many Catholics will read that moment and never see it? Are you all following? How important is the Iliad, the Odyssey, and the Aeneid in learning to read the world? Put it that way. If you don't have a sense, if you don't even know what taking the auspices means, then how could you even bring it to that moment? You thought that's a stunning moment to me. It's just stunning. Who do you say I am? You are the Christ. Where did Peter get that? What the confirmation at that moment is, you are Peter on this rock. Everything that you do now will have the support of the Holy Spirit behind you because he just touched you. It didn't, this was not flesh and bones. This was the Father. Right? It's, 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 it's like a, an assurance. The Holy Spirit will guide you. This, that's, the, that's the center of our faith. 
Take that away and you've got everybody in their private worlds. You've got the Reformation. It's a stunning moment to me. Just stunning. So... <clears throat> See, I think meeting station should have been a taking of the auspices moment. Say again? I said when Dante sees or finds Thasius, to me that should have been a taking of the auspices moment. Why? Just living proof that it works. It works. Yeah, I want to. I want to get going, so I don't want to take that up. But I want to have a minute with you just to <laughs> see what you're. <clears throat> Let's start. Okay, I'm going to read. Susanna agrees with me. I'm not disagreeing. I want to. I'm. I'm not sure that I understand it fully. I just and I don't want to. But I want to yeah. come back to it. So. Um. When we read, when Father read the Beatitudes a week ago, um, it was last weekend, as I heard the Beatitudes, I was reminded of Dante because, and this speaks so directly to the purgatory here, because remember the Beatitudes from one perspective are a condemnation of everything in the world. Money, power, image, wealth, all of it, all of it. He's telling people who are outside of that world, who are marginalized, <coughs> don't fret, you're blessed. And he goes down the list. Um, and it's interesting for me because Father's first homily on Saturday, on a weekend, man, that is where he, the whole community gathered together, not just during the day, because he came, his first day was actually Thursday. Um, to me, this is a tough passage on which to write a homily or to speak on a homily because it, 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 it involves a condemnation of almost everything that we value. Um, Great Bend's not a poor church. I mean, there's a lot of wealth in this community. When you hear that passage, that the, the offering of the Beatitudes to the 5,000, he's speaking to people who are generally without and indirectly condemning those who have things. So I wondered how Father would because it would say a lot about Father, and I thought he did it really well. I mean, he was really careful to protect wealth, but also take what Christ was saying seriously and offer it as a critique. So it's appropriate here, because if we look at purgatory, that's exactly what purgatory is. And you know that as the, as the penitents move from one stage to another up, they, they, they hear a beatitude. That's not an accident on Donnie's part, because what he's saying is, going, going to the northern, southern heavens here again, you're leaving the world. You're, you're turning away from the worldliness of things, and you're becoming <coughs> pure. The purification is taking effect. So it's not an accident that the Beatitudes are offered. That's an indication that, and this, I'm going to follow this up in a few minutes in, with, from another perspective. It's an indication that all this worldliness is being stripped from you. And, as that happens, your eyes are opening. Now remember, everybody's eyes are open. I mean, Dante Virgil, they could see. But truthfully, we think, we, the problem is, we think we see all the time. This is where the focus of, of our meeting today is going to be. We think we see all the time. We don't realize how half-blind we are. So the movement of purgatory is a recovery of a spiritual sight, we can put it that way, as the penitents move away from the world as they give up their worldliness. 
So the beatitude is the indication that they pass those stages one by one. So I want to start today with the Beatitudes and place it in prayer. So okay, I'm just going to read this <coughs> and then offer a prayer like David. All right. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Thank you again, Lord, for the gift of our life from you. Um, the gift of yourself this morning in the Mass, for your words to us. All these warnings, the loss of Eden recently, Noah, the loss of the world, um, we get these stern warnings. We're about ready to enter Lent and Easter. Stern reminders of the wrong that we're susceptible to and the pains that we should take to put them behind us. Um, be with us through this day, all of us. Help us to take you to the world. Those were Father's words to us today, to go out and witness. Um, give each one of us the strength to do that. Help us not to be afraid of what the world will think. Um, help us to take seriously the penance that you all call us to. This is a reading from Luke. <coughs> Jesus came down with the twelve and stood on a stretch of level ground with a great crowd of his disciples and a large number of the people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon. Raising his eyes towards his disciple, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you who are now hungry, for you will be satisfied. <laughs> Blessed are you who are now weeping, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude and insult you and denounce your name as evil um, on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice and leap for joy on that day. Behold, your reward will be great in heaven, for their ancestors treated the prophets in the same way. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are filled now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will grieve and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for their ancestors treated the false prophets, false prophets in this way. The Gospel of the Lord. Um, we offer our prayers and everything that's in our hearts right now um, to you, Christ our Lord. Amen. Um, <coughs> blessed are you who are poor for the kingdom of God is yours. I love that opening, blessed are you who are poor for the kingdom of God is yours. It's those, it's those who have learned to do without who are closer to God because generally speaking the more wealth we have the easier it is to forget God because we're so sufficient. So, Okay, purgatory. <coughs> very, very quickly um, I want to get to this, but I want to I, I want to be careful because we've entered a new phase of the comedian. I, I you know it's I practice to go back for a minute. 
Anti-purgatory um, is that place in which people who have not prepared themselves to take on penance are waiting an appropriate time um, before they are allowed into into St. Peter's Gate to begin their penance. I'll get to that in a minute. But it's um, it, it's it's a way Dante one in one respect. It's a way Dante has of reinforcing one of the most fundamental principles of the whole community, and that is each one of us is responsible for our actions. You, you know, I've said this before, I think he and Shakespeare are the, the poets par excellence of human freedom and human responsibility. Nobody gets as close as Homer, Virgil, get, you know, the great poets that we've been looking at, but I think um, Shakespeare and Dante were more Catholic. Dante is writing at the end of the end of the Middle Ages before the Catholic world breaks down. Shakespeare, I think, has that whole Catholic background behind him, even though it's broken down now. He's in the beginning of the Renaissance, so he's looking for a modern towards a modern world. But the two of them are so clear that that what happens to us in our lives is so often a matter of what we do with our own choices. And you know that Dante's very clear of that. He learned it in hell. Because what he was seeing is people who made choices that put them where they are. And he's making clear that relationship. He does it again here before purgatory because he'll, sh he'll, he'll show by the order in which we pass from one person to another what's at stake. And I want to come to that in a second. So um, what he's doing is just reinfor reinforcing this, this theme of the importance of human responsibility. And interestingly, it's backed up in a very vivid way in what happens with Cato. You know that Cato committed suicide. He was a great Republican noble. He killed himself, not in despair, he killed himself as a way of affirming his commitment to freedom. And remember, I, I don't want to get into this because I know people have different feelings about this. It seems to me one of the most important things to remember about Cato is, it's like your question about um, the orientation of you know, purgatory in the southern atmosphere. Whatever else we take away from Cato, we should we should remember that the, the most important thing about him is his sternness. When Dante and Casella start singing together, remember Cato comes up and scold, merc mercilessly, ruthlessly says, get on, what are you doing here? He's angry. Um, it's important to see that he's an aspect of, allegorically, it's important to see that he's an aspect of sternness that's necessary to begin penance. And if let me make this really clear, because I, you know, these there's these are obvious things, but I just think sometimes we so easily overlook them. I I know for myself, I'm trusting that all of us know that. I'm going to give an example for myself. I'm seriously working to get my weight down. And in evenings, in evenings, when Suzanne and I are watching movies, I'll get up out of bed on a break and go get some crackers. I shouldn't be doing that. How easy is it to say no to yourself when you're used to doing something? To deny yourself and say no and mean it. It's much easier to slip by and let it go and keep doing what we've been doing. Is it possible at all without a real sternness in us to say and mean it? Absolutely no. Take that sternness away and, and how successful will we be in undertaking penance? Now let me even reinforce this. In our world, 
how easy is it? Because everything in our world conduces to comfort, security, pleasure. Those are the driving dynamics of our world. Be comfortable, have what you want, have your will, do whatever you want. So we do that easily without giving it a thought. Purgatory is, remember, the essence of purgatory is turning away from the worldliness in yourself and beginning a penance to make you holy. The call to all Catholics is holiness, not conformity with the world. So, and Cato brings into focus a number of issues. One is this, the, ne the necessity of sternness. The other is um, the implications of that sternness, the importance of it, for understanding human relations. Marcia, the woman he most loved in the world, is in hell. I, don't, I hope I don't need to go back and read the lines. You remember them, right? Remember he said the law, I, I'm passing. He has no pity for her. There, he's not wounded. He's not crying or saying, I wish I, you know. He belongs on that other side. So he's an image of, of the sternness that's necessary for penance and for properly ordering our loves. We can't keep looking back. Is everybody following? Because we all know the cost with pity and disordered loves. As much as we feel them that that's right, oh, because it's somebody we love. We know, how often do we stop and say, is that a really, is that a really good, are we really loving that person for the good of himself or herself? Or is it for us? We're stuck in our own emotions. So he brings into focus right at the foot of the mountain basic issues to everything that's going to happen. Okay, is that clear? Um, Dante's critique of art, essential. What began the inferno, the inferno proper, proper the, the first step into sin? Francisco and Paolo, <laughs> I won't be surprised if everybody goes out the door right here. Um, their love of art, po <laughs> poetry. <laughs> they were reading the Lancelot stories and they were, I assumed that they were so taken by what happened between Lancelot and Guinevere Dante's way of describing it is they were reading that, and that day they read no more. <laughs> telling, we don't need to talk about what happened stay then. Stay away from poetry. Huh? <laughs> stay away from poetry. <laughs> so, that's Dante's saying that. And he's gonna. <laughs> by the way, um, Fred, that I mean that is, goes. Is that what made you decide not to do poetry? Wait, would you, <laughs> would you please? Um, that, that's one of the reasons why that, that meeting of the poets at the head of at the top of purgatory is going to be so important. This is his second critique, and it's right at the outset of another phase. That how serious is that? The first thing they do when Casella gets off the boat <laughs> is he and Dante want to sing this song to enter into this soft, soothing, comfortable, the way music does, and you want to it's like God, I mean it's narcotic. You want to take a drug and you know, Cato comes along, what does he do? Get out of here. Get going. How, how, how much would he be liked in the world? Or in a marriage? Father, husband. Don't talk to me that way. It's interesting. It's interesting. Virgil and, think about it. Virgil and Dante don't say, don't talk to me that way. They get going. Um, so, consistently, Dante is, it, underneath everything that he's doing, He's offering us a critique of art to put us on guard because art has this extraordinary power over the human soul. It always does. 
Remember the Republic, Plato's Republic was foremost a critique of Homer. How many hours do people spend in front of a tube watching movies or games or but particularly music, rock music, celebrity, celebrity status. I mean, the power that celebrities have in our country is an indication of how addictive music is, movies. Um, the one thing necessary for Dante to make this climb is humility. So after they greet Cato, they go to the shoreline, they pluck this reed, another grows up. It's an indication of the renewing power of nature, um, the humility that's offered there. Dante washes his face, making it clear that now that he's seen all this evil, he, he <clears throat> cannot grieve, he cannot whine, he cannot cry. He's to clean his face and get going. Next step, he and Casella sing. <laughs> so, so that's the beginning of, um, of the purgatory. The last thing, remember, I, I gave you an image of Plato's cave, remember? I went through this, right? Yeah. That um, the great virtue of the ancient world was justice. It was a proper ordering of the soul. The great virtue was defined, helped us to see more clearly the significance of our relationship with another person. Exactly what's between us. And the ancient world understood that that relationship between one person and another could not be good if it were not just. There was an implicit sense that humans, there was this inherent human, there was this in, inherent dignity to humans, but there was something wrong in human beings so the dignity would get wounded or mistreated or we wouldn't treat, we wouldn't show people the respect that we should given the <coughs> dignity that we have as humans. There's something bad in us. We had to overcome something. But when we did, we could be just with another. And when we were, our relationships were okay. That's what justice was. And you know that for Plato, Aristotle, all of them, that nobody could be just to another person unless you minded your own business, unless you took care to order your own soul. That the primary task for every one of us on this earth is to mind our own business to order our own souls, so that when whatever happened outside, even if somebody's attacking us wrongly the way they did Socrates or Christ, we would be able to respond appropriately in justice. <clears throat> this came from Plato in the Republic. He said, or no, sorry, it wasn't in the Republic. I think it was in the Phaedo, the, 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 the one that has to do with his execution when, in the, when all of his friends come to try to persuade him to escape. And he says he can't do that. He owes the city his life because everything he has is from the city. And he says it's more important to suffer a wrong before you give one. So like Homer, Plato, they, they all in some way anticipate Christ. They have this understanding that there's, there's something about our fallen nature that, that helps us to reveal our, show us who we are and what's what we're not doing well and what we should be doing to become better. So they all anticipate Christ in amazing, amazing ways. So that was, that's what we've done. And remember I said that, so according to Plato, the, the, the way out of the cave is by questioning. 
it's when one of the people turns around and begins to question what's going on that he can make his way out. So for Plato, the intellect was sufficient, the mind. But remember, the, for Plato, to get out of the cave required a spirit of questioning, humility, the, to, a recognition that you don't have the answers, so you ask. Because the people who, who did have the answers, who thought they knew everything, were chained. They have no reason for getting out. They think they, they think they see reality the way it is, when what they're doing is taking appearances or images, appearances for what's real when it's not. So for Plato, the fundamental task for human beings was self-examination, to question yourself, what's going on. John Paul, in the opening of Fide and Ratio, I thought one of his greater works, Fide and Ratio, Faith and Reason, it begins with um, opening par paragraph um, recalling the importance of the Platonic critique and self-knowledge for our journey, that if we don't have it, there's something wrong with our faith. Remember, faith and reason. Um, we, we, we have to grow in our faith by growing in awareness of ourselves, who we are, what we're doing, where we are with Christ. <laughs> there it is. Who do people say I am? Who do people say I am? You know, nobody gave an answer except Peter. So right there in the homily, this, I mean the reading, there it is again. Uh, who we are, who's Christ, what's our relationship with him? And remember that Christ comes into the world, so for Plato, Knowledge is sufficient to get out if you use it the right way, and obviously most people don't. That's his critique. Um, Christ comes into the cave to make clear that knowledge is not enough. That our sins are, are we know this, our original sin is against God. We can't get out of the cave on our own. It's only um, through God's help, his love and mercy, his wisdom, his knowledge, his love, that we can get out. So what... Um, the basis of the ancient world was we get what we deserve we give others what they deserve that's justice this is so important this sense of what objectively is true objectively we give another what's owed to him he should give what's owed to us that justice is fundamental and remember Christ went to the cross not to do away with justice he went to fulfill it so he's not, he's not eliminating justice, okay? But what he does do is he offers us something when we didn't deserve it. So he's offering a love that goes far beyond what the ancients knew as what was the right order of the soul, this justice that was so important in the ancient world. <clears throat> he gave us a love when we didn't deserve it. And I suggested that the great task for all Christians since Christ is... Um, bringing justice and love together. Justice, one without the other is a mess. Justice without love is cruel. Compassion without justice is enabling. The real problem is bringing the two together. That's what purgatory is. You know, we just left hell, the inferno, where everybody gets what they deserve, what they wanted. The movement from hell into purgatory is a movement from a condition which people define their lives by justice only into a world in which justice and love are brought together. There would be no atonement if there weren't a justice. Every one of the souls is doing penance for a wrong, right? 
they're answering justice, otherwise they wouldn't be there. <clears throat> mercy's only real. Mercy's only real when it calls into play a justice that brings it into play when it relates to it. So Christ fulfilled a law that was broken. He had to answer it. He had to accept justice. It's a part of what he did, but he brought to it a divine love that we couldn't have brought to it ourselves. So that's what purgatory is. It's people accepting justice that they owe a life, they did a wrong, and unlike the people in hell who didn't want to admit it, they admit it and they're taking on penance. They're learning to put their sins away. So that's purgatory. Okay, that's where we were. Let me stop. Any, any, I don't want to take too much, but any, can take, we can take a few minutes if anybody has questions or. <clears throat> Every level of, of purgatory, um, reveals a reality in exactly the same way every level in hell did. Remember, every every level of hell had a contrapasso. It showed the nature of the sin and its consequences. We're going to see that here. The contrapasso is still there. Every, every ledge has got a different atmosphere, a different ethos, a different makeup, because each sin is different. It asks for a different response, uh, and it has different helps um, that are appropriate to the sin. So just as in hell, we're learning to see the nature of the sin and also the nature of the remedy, the answer to it, what we do to answer that sin. So all of purgatory is, is based on the assumption that we, of self-knowledge, that we, that we want to know ourselves, that it's okay to look at ourselves and realize we're in sin, so that we can begin to do away. The people who think they're not in sin are the ones to most worry about um, because they how they grow. What reason do they have for changing? <clears throat> and remember, nobody in purgatory is hanging their heads. They're not going around saying, look how miserable because I had to give all these worldly things. They are glad to be there. So I've said again and again, I think purgatory is an image of the way we should be living on earth. We should be bearing our sins, truthfully taking them up, gladly taking a joy, just like the beatitude. Jump if people hit you, jump for joy. Don't be down, cast. Be glad. If people like you everywhere, you might take a second look at yourself. I mean, that's what, that's what Christ is saying. Okay, no questions. It's folly. None? No. Um, okay, here's where it gets tricky. Let's see. Okay. Yeah, the, the purgatory is an image of the church. Remember St. Augustine's image? The pair, two cities, the city of God, the city of man. And there's what he calls this peregrine, this wandering city. It's in exile. That's the church. What's the home of the exile? With God. It's an exile. It's, trying, it's us trying to return home. So purgatory is one stage of that return. It's an image of the church. Because what is the church offering? The, sa the sacraments, wisdom, images of herself, confession, Eucharist, um, the, the singing, the prayers that make up our life. Those are all helps the church offers as graces 
to help us undergo this purification so that we can put away this worldliness and move back to God. Okay? Okay, I have to take a breath because the next stage is going to get... I was just asking for it. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, that's kind of like that. Yeah. Not too good. You want to pull it over? I do. Yeah. Uh, can you help? I'm just yep. going to... I think... I, I think this will do it. Just... Thanks. Thanks. Okay. This is where I've got to warn everybody. Um, to me, there's no way around it. Um, I want to look at the Trinity one more time because of its importance for this journey up purgatory, what's going on with Dante. Remember last time, um, when, I, when I talked about the uh, image of the Trinity inherently in us, All right, I gave you St. Thomas's example of being, being, knowing, and loving, right? Um, and I said that, and I remember, remember I read that passage where St. Thomas says, it's just remarkable, these people, what the wisdom that we're losing. Excuse me. St. Thomas says, the Father is not greater or less than the Son and the Holy Spirit, or the whole of the Trinity. I quoted that, remember I read it. Yes, didn't I? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everybody's got that, right? Because that's so different from us, because when we think one, two, three, one is obviously less than two and three. Right? Because two and three are double one. So one is only a part less than <clears throat> two and three. And two and three are greater than one. That's our customary way of thinking, yes? But St. Thomas says, no, because in a mathematical world, we're in a, we're in a realm of um, worldly things. When we go to the Trinity, we're going to something beyond the world. That's why we can't prove the Trinity, because it's beyond our senses, and all knowledge, despite what moderns think, all knowledge begins in the senses. We take things in through our senses. We're not angels. We're corporeal creatures. We take things in through our senses. We, we process them through our minds. We understand. When he's describing the Trinity, says the Father is not greater or less than the whole of the Trinity. He's not greater or less than the Son and the Holy Spirit <coughs> together. Because each one of them is whole in himself. Yeah? That's not an easy notion, but I think abstractly we can conceive it. Because every one of them is a whole. Remember, and if that isn't clear, put it this way. When the Father conceived himself, when he, in an, in an act of understanding himself, the concept of himself, the image of himself, is the Son. The Son is the image of the Father. He's what the, you know, he's the knowledge the Father has of himself. The love between the two of them is the, the Spirit. So each one of them is different, but each one of them is the whole itself, because... 
When the father conceives of himself, does he conceive of somebody outside him that's other than? No. Because if he did, it would be less than. Because God is complete in himself. That's why it's so crucial that we say, not made, or begotten, not made. Because we understand Christ to be one with the Son, to be one with the Father, which completely changes the nature of the redemption. Arian said, Arius said, no, Christ is uh, less than the Father. Something other. The Catholic Church said, no, 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 he's not. He's the Son who's come down to take on our nature, and he is the Son is completely one with the Father. That's why Christ says, I know the Father, you see him in me. Am I going too fast? You're all following this? Mm-hmm. Are we okay? Okay, so in the human psyche, we know that we are, we have being, we know, and we love. So in our, if we're created in the image, it shouldn't be a surprise. If we're made in the image of God, the structure of our nature would be Trinitarian. That's what it is. Now, here's the important thing I want to say today. Um, in us, because we're not God, um, all three of those things are not one and, and the same with the whole. Because we know a person can exist, he can be in a coma, his mind can be gone, his will can be partly arrested. Right? So, um, we're not divine. We, we don't subsist forever the way God does. Um, so, in us, be, we have being, we know, and we love. In one sense, we can say, being is one with all of this. When we know, it's, it's not just with our mind, it's somehow with our toes. I mean, it's, you know, we're completely involved in our knowing. But we tend to look at it as the faculty. This is a part of something. And love is a part. Whereas in God, none of these is ever parts. They're, they're identified. They have a distinct identity, but they're one with the whole, each one in itself. So because we're contingent, because we're creatures, we image the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have this Trinitarian character, but we're different as well because we're mortal. We're creatures. We're not God. Okay. Now remember, in God, to put it differently, in God is being less, in God, is being less than or inferior to knowing and loving? No, because God is all being. Is knowing less than his being or loving? No, because his knowing is one with his whole nature. Is loving less than being and knowing together? You're all following no, because in God, they're all one. So it's not like one, two, three, where one is less than two and three, or less than the whole. Because in the divinity, the one, the Father, um, is no different than the others in the whole. They're all, each one is a whole. So, this is not a part, this is not a part, this is a part. In God, they're one with the whole being. Okay? Everybody okay? Well, <clears throat> the way you explain it, is is much deeper and necessary than the way it's been presented in the past. I, I don't know that saying three persons in one does it. I understand why they may say that, mm-hmm. but to me, it, it, it just it still leaves you wanting versus when you go into something like this, it's much deeper that brings you closer, not that all of a sudden everything clicks, yeah. but that's a much better response. Yeah, yeah. 
And in the Bible, he says, nobody knows, not, not even I, the Father knows when the end will come. I mean, I'm just saying there's even things you read in there that make you think Father, Son. So without these explanations. Right. right. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't know, David. I mean, I, I wonder how many priests get that particular part of St. Thomas. You know, I don't know. And I wonder how many of them, even if they got it, would want to avoid it in a Sunday homily because lots of people would just be mystified. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But but I agree with you. I wish this were more commonly known in the Catholic world. Okay, here's where I wanted to go this morning. Memory, understanding, and will. Halfway through the purgatory, we're going to come across a line in which Dante's words are exactly this. Memory, I think it's knowledge, will, love, I can't remember, but it's this triad. It's from St. Augustine. He knew it was St. Augustine, because Dante knew, read St. Augustine. He knew the Trinity well. Dante's going to use the same line. So the, the, the one example that Thomas knows Augustine, he knows that St. Augustine came up with I don't know, it was 25, 24, 26 um, examples of our Trinitarian structure. This is only one of them. But it was the most important for him. The most important for Thomas was this one. This one for um, for St. Augustine. I don't want Jeff to miss this. Um, good. That's timely. Not Jeff. Huh? Fred. Fred, sorry. <coughs> So, St. Augustine said, we're made in God's image among all these other kinds of Trinitarian structures that we possess, we have this one. And for him, this one was the most important. And I want everybody to think about this because this, this defines an aspect of purgatory that we will completely miss without it. Memory is that faculty that we call on when... Um, we want to find something we've lost, right? We go back. We lose our keys. What do we do? We go back in our memory to reconstruct everything to try to find out where, you know, where they could possibly be. Now hold on to that. The memory is what contains the whole of our past, everything. In some sense, it's the, the one faculty that encompasses everything because it's all there. Right? Our whole life is in us. Every one of us. It's not stored anywhere else. Nobody else knows it the way we do. Each one of us has a memory that contains the whole of our life. If, we want to, uh, if we've lost something, where do we go? We go into memory to f- try to find it. So the memory is that to which we turn when we've lost something and want to find it. Now hold on to that because that's crucial. Our understanding is the effort of our mind to grasp the nature of that thing, whatever it is. The will is the moving out towards that thing, right? Piece of cake, piece of bread with butter that I will never eat again. (laughs) Um, If there were cake up there, I'd have some real problems this morning. Um, Right, so he said, we're made in God's image. Those are the three faculties that most resemble the powers of God. Now, Now, just hold on to this just for a second. Um, 
Okay, who was Calliope in the ancient world? <laughs> who is Calliope? Every epic poet begins with the epic poet invoking a muse. Who, who did they invoke? Calliope, yeah? Sing, muse, the anger of Peleus' son. Sing, muse, the man of many ways, Odysseus. Sing, muse, um, the, the fugitive who's lost his way. It's Aeneas. In the, you know. So every epic begins with an invocation. The poet's calling on a goddess to help him because since he's going to sing of things that include the divinities, the gods, it's going to enter into divine order, he needs divine help. He can't do it without it. Remember, the epic, the epic is, that, is that story of some problem involving men um, that, that needed the help of the gods the problem are going to be resolved. So every epic begins with a prayer, an invocation, help me. And notice it's always in song. Why? Because it's an indication of a harmony that we receive from the divine order. That's one of the good reasons we read poetry. Because it, it keeps us in touch with that divine order, the harmony of it, the beauty of it. So Calliope was the muse that all of the epic poets called on. All, I mean, all the whole ancient world knew this. They knew it the way a Catholic world. We, our world is so broken down. Where did Calliope come from? Mimosine. We get that term in, in, in pedagogies in school today, mnemonic, mnemonic devices to help us remember something, you know. Um, Zeus and Mimosine, which mean in some sense, I mean, I'm just, these are these, as in all cases like this, the language is so inadequate, just so inadequate. Mimosine, in a sense, means cosmic memory. It's all there. Everything is there. The whole cosmos, whatever brought it into being. Yeah? Um, I mean, in some sense, it's a description of what's in God. There is no past or future, but the whole of it is contained in God. Mimosine is an, an, a name, an image of all of it. Divinized. Given a divine name. Zeus and Mimosine Mimosinate mate, Zeus is the head of the gods, and it produces how many muses? Nine muses. Calliope is the one of um, the epic poetry. Um, what's nine? <laughs> God, this is just stunning to me. What's nine a multiple of? Three. Three. I mean, just think, this is stunning to me. Here it is. So. Zeus and Mimosine mate produces the nine muses. When men want to tell a story that involves the gods, they need help of the gods, they turn to the nine muses. Sources of inspiration. That's what we've been, all the, all the literature that we've been reading is divinely inspired in some way. It's not, it's not from the book of Revelation. It's on this side of Revelation. That human beings are, some are giving a special vision to help us see ourselves more clearly. That's what the poets have been doing. 
Okay, now why, why is this important? Because one of the things that Augustine's principle does with memory, understanding, and will is that by, by using memory instead of being, being, reason, and love, remember St. Thomas's being, reason, instead of using that, using memory, understanding, and will, a whole dimension of purgatory opens up for us, and it's this. Since the fall, I can put it this way, pretty clearly, I think. Since the fall, we've forgotten that we forgot. We don't know that we forgot. I want to repeat that. Since the fall, let me put it differently. Since the fall, you, you know the two cities, when, they, when the city emerges. We, with our powers of reason and will, we think we're so sufficient, we can get along on our own. So that we don't even know anymore that we don't know. So we've forgotten what we once had. So in moving up purgatory, man, man is learning to recover what he lost and didn't know that he was without. Okay? So as the souls go up purgatory, in a sense, what's happening is this. A layer of worldliness is being stripped away and they're learning to see the way they once did when they were in Eden before the fall took it all away. Who in the world, how many people in the world, because we're so sufficient with our powers, believe that they need Eden? Or that it even exists? The, the Christian myth, our, our, our belief is, we had this completeness with God. We, we, our relationship with each other was one of love and beholding, in wonder. Once we get into the world, we get so caught up with the world that a worldliness takes us over and we don't even know that we're blind. We don't even know that we don't know. This is the great gift that Socrates was, right? So we can say, we've forgotten that we forgot. We don't know that we forgot. Going up purgatory is a recovery of that wholeness we once had. It's returning us to Eden. So, each level, oh, let me put it differently, that is, every effort human beings make in humility to take on a penance, to do a penance, to stop grumbling, res resenting, you know, all of this stuff, thinking the world, the world owes us, that we don't get enough, we don't get what we deserve, all the things that sort of hold us here. Each effort a person makes in humility to take on a penance strips away that layer. And what he's left with is, is a greater capacity for wonder and love and understanding. So this is not just a mechanical thing. Dante's just not going from here to here. He's looking at his sins. It's a recovery of the wholeness he once had. This capacity for wonder and love that comes from taking on penance, putting away our sins. Christ keeps talking about in the Bible, you know, when he, when he heals, you know, when, he, um, when, he's, when he's healing people with sight, I don't think that just means bodily sight. I think it also means... It, oh, as a matter of fact, this is really good. I forgot I was going to bring it up next week, but this is so fitting right now. The reading a couple of days ago, Christ takes the man out of the village. This is so important. Christ takes the man out of the village, puts spittle on his eyes, 
doesn't work the first time, does it again, and the man has sight. F first time he does, he says, I see the world like sh trees, shadows, you know, he doesn't see clearly, and he does it again, and he sees with real clarity. And he says, do not go back to the village. <coughs> Why? What's going on? Ugh. Why? Come on, you guys. If this is worldliness... I don't want to lose it again. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> right. Again. Exactly. Um, when Lot and his wife left Gomorrah, do not look back. What are the words the angels or the guardian says to Thomas, or I mean uh, Dante, when he goes through the gates? Do not look back. You want that worldliness? You don't belong here. Is everybody following? So the movement, the, the journey of purgatory. Remember, we can get so lost in the steps. I mean, the, each particular thing that we don't see the whole. What's really happening? What's really happening is the worldliness is being stripped. He's he's going back in memory, truly going back in memory to recover the whole. Those things that he once lost, that he once had, that he no longer has. So Augustine's image of the of the, tr the nature of the soul can help us here, by just by bringing out another aspect of the purgatory that we've been looking at. So let me stop for a second here before we. I'm going to turn to the book in a second, but before we, is this clear? Any questions? It goes against a little bit what you're taught in in the world, and that you see people a little with problems. Bit. You see people with problems, and you feel sorry for them. You feel pity. You feel some emotion. Maybe yeah. pity and sorrow are the right. wrong ones. But like when you say, he says, "Don't look back." I mean, there's a tendency in you. You want to feel badly for them. Right. right. I don't think Dante would not say, "Don't feel pity." Pity is a natural emotion. I've tried to. I'm always trying to balance these things. Pity is a natural. There's not. There's it's no. Unless we're a heartless person, there's no. We can't feel pity for a person suffering. It's a natural response. It's good to to feel pity for another when they're suffering or undergoing something is a hardship or anything. The natural response it shows a good heart. A good heart. The danger I'm trusting everybody is seeing is that if that defines a way, it be. It, particularly in, in personal relationships, parents with children, or husbands and wives, it can become a real danger. You know, pity's not love. Remember, pity is the feeling that we have when we identify with the sufferings of another. But that means our, we're ourselves. We're too much. We're too much part of it. There's too. It's too much for us. Love means acting for the good of another. That's always a harder thing because it means putting ourselves away. That's a much much harder thing. What's at issue here is the, the, the point that I really want to underscore is that the member I've said before, the mode of knowing in inferno is irony. The mode of knowing of purgatory is wonder. That Dante's recovering the, the wonder that he would have had as a child when Christ says, "Bees these little ones." That he's learning the, as, he, as, as the souls in purgatory put away their worldliness, as they're stripped of it. And they, what they do involves more humility in what they do. They see with different eyes. They're learning to see with wonder. They're learning to see with love. 
and it changes the relationships between and among them. So that's the whole purpose of the church in its whole nature. It's to all of it. The Eucharist, confession, the sacraments, the singing, the prayers. Purgatory is an image of the church at work on the world. All of it is meant to help us come back, to go home, to recover what, what we've lost. To do that, we go in memory. But remember, for, for, for Dante and St. Augustine, memory meant all of it. It's there. So, and it's interesting. You'll see this even more. So hold on to this theme. It's not what I'm offering today is really important. Because we'll see as Dante goes up to Paradiso. And this is really interesting. Dante's going back to beginnings. His father, his grandfather, finally Adam, and then God. Why? Because those are the beginnings for all of us. It's all there. Hopefully, if we're all, I hope we're all, we will see each other. I hope, I hope we're all praying for each other in this group. I hope you're praying for Suzanne and me, for sure. We're praying for everybody. We go back to everything. That, by the way, that's TSL. Is in the, in my beginning is my end. In my end is my beginning. Not an accident. Dante Dante gave him a name. Okay, let me stop. Any any questions about purgatory? <coughs> you know, the way that you explain things gives it things purpose. Mm-hmm. It does. It, it's it's too often they become rote. Like going to church fulfills <laughs> yep. a check mark on your list. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. I've said this before. I'm so glad you're saying that, David. I just um, remember one of the things that poetry does. It uses like we get in a work. What's the work? Work a day mentality. The business. The the what's the stop think or what's that? What's the phrase I'm looking for? Stop think that that phrase of in the work world where the language does the thinking for us. It's it's so established that way of thinking and way of language that it stops us from thinking. Poetry always breaks into that. It 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 it, it really it, it's it's like it pierces that world and brings us into another order um, to help us so that those effects you can call them calcifying effects. You know, you just get stuck there, and the poetry can help. It can also remember. It can also damn us. It can also bring Cato down on us. So, no, no questions. Everybody looks so quiet. What am I not doing here? What's going on? Uh-huh. Mary Jane, you don't have any questions. You already answered my question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm worn out. I have to stop. Let's take. 30 seconds, can we? We're going to jump into the text in a second. Can't wait till we get to Stasius. To Stasius? <laughs> that means to me, your whole, your whole presentation this morning just sets that up. I mean, then we don't even need to get to him. Here, here's a guy who's been there and done that, right? He's back in harmony with God. What cancel is that? Pardon? What cancel? Uh, twenty-five or Stacy Dante like and Virgil are climbing up, and then at one point the 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 mountain shakes, 
because each time a soul is released from purgatory, it's like the mountain, it, it, it jumps for joy, a mountain. Just And Stasius emerges on this ledge, and he's a Roman poet who's been in purgatory forever, just forever. And the three poets at that point will pick up together, and it's, a, it's an amazing it's an amazing moment. Dante, this is what Dante's doing is amazing. He's going to take on the central issues for, of our life, which is body and soul. This, you know, it goes to um, Fred's question a couple of weeks ago about how they recognize each other. They don't have bodies, but it's going to go to this issue of body and soul, and the other one will be love and free will. So, right at the center of the whole comedian, right at the center of the Victoria is this issue, and Stasius emerges at this point and accompanies the two poets from that. He's on his way out. He's done his time. Um, it, it's it's a, I don't, I'm not sure that I can answer Fred's question this morning, but how much learning goes on with him? He's going to accompany Dante up the last ledges. So there may be some learning. But the real sin, that I think one of the things that Dante's showing us is that some of us have, will spend more time on certain sins than others. You know, Dante says, that the, that the ledge that he's most frightened about, that the, the, the one that will ask the most of him will be pride. I, I think it's that way for most of us. I know it, 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 I know, I know it is for me. The thing that worries me most about myself is my pride. What's going on? Fred says, will you keep that guy, please? And well, don't it's, make any excuses for told him. Her that, I'm that's just, what you I'm told just right there with you. Yeah. What? I mean, years ago, when they, Francis and I were first dating, she told me I was going to go to hell because of my pride. <laughs> Who said that? My wife. <laughs> she wasn't my wife then. <laughs> How did she become your wife? <laughs> because she was right. <laughs> that's great. To me, it's the most frightening. It's just, it's just scary. Scary for me. Oh, <laughs> you guys wear me out. Wear me out. Is there any more tea? Mm. Is, there... Is that your cup? It's, would you mind, Doc? I'll get some more. Her water. Actually, I, how about some more? I found the discussion very profound. Could you get a, one of the other, just a clean cup? And just get some more? From the fountain? Yeah. Say it again, Fred. I said I found the discussion this morning very profound. You mean earlier, with st or yeah, this? So right now. Right now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I do too. It just leaves it me, together. huh? Kind of pulls everything together. It's just to me, it's just astonishing. And I, the sad thing is, you, if you get Dante in a university, it's going to be scholarly and psychological and Freud and I mean, who will who will say what's actually happening is he's recovering a sense of wonder. And, and he's recovering what he lost, this wholeness that we all had in Eden. To see that and feel it here in a journey, God, what Dante did just amazes me. Okay, let's look at the book. Oh, I forgot the Spanish cloister this morning. God, I knew there was something I forgot. <laughs> this is our way back into the book. Um, I want to. We don't have much time, but I want to look at a couple of passages. Uh, but before we actually turn to the book itself, 
In anti-purgatory, this is what Dante experiences. He meets Casella coming off the boat, Manfred, Balacqua, Biocante, Sardello, <coughs> the princes, and then he comes to the gate. I want to get that in a moment. But I want to be clear on what's happening here. You know the poets don't just random, they order everything. It's really like a mathematician. They're showing something in the order of things. When we did the Iliad, remember at the end of the Iliad, I drew that circle and I showed you all the battles. They got more important by degrees as we move through the Iliad until we got to the final battle between Achilles and Hector. When, um, in the beginning of the Iliad, when there's that fight between Achilles and Agamemnon, um, third or fourth book, I can't remember, we get um, a description of the catalog of the ships. Catalogs are an important element. It's, a, it's an epic element. The catalog of the ships was not an accident. Achilles was at one end, Aias at the other, and Odysseus was in the middle. Why? Because you had the two greatest warriors, the ones most capable of fighting the extremes, and the most prudent men. Everything that poets do suggests an order of music to things. In the uh, in Moby Dick, when we did the Gams, remember all the the meetings between the Pequot and all the Moby Dick was at the center of everyone, because Moby Dick defined what each of those ships was doing or not doing in their lives. Thanks, Doug. Thanks. So the the poets are trying to help us relate to nature and still see an order where very often we don't. So when we're reading the, the, the anti-purgatory part of um, purgatory, we can come across these and become so caught up in the what's going on in the scene that we miss the order. So my question right now, what's the order? Cassell is just arriving. Manfred was excommunicated, remember? Balacqua was among the indolent Lazy, you know, he's got this picture where he can almost, he can't even hold his head up, he's sarcastic. Um, and you've got the late repentant, those people who repented late in their life. And you've got the princes who were preoccupied. So all of these things kept people from undergoing penance. Too busy, too indolent, too not caring, too excommunicated. So describe this principle. What's the principle of that movement? God bless. What's Dante showing us in that order? Is everybody clear? Casella's just arriving. Manfred's excommunicated. Balacqua's indifferent. Um, he's indolent, lazy. Bucanti Sordello are um, are killed suddenly, they don't have time to confess, and the princes who are preoccupied. What's going on? I think, anybody? Sorry? It's getting harder, like, to go up for these? I don't think so. The, um, 
one of the one of the things that will be said to Dante as he begins this journey is that the journey will actually get easier. As he, I don't think it, this applies here yet, um, but the journey will get easier the higher he goes, which is the reverse of what it is here. Right when you go up a mountain, it gets harder and harder and harder. There it gets so this this is Mary Jane. This is another way of illustrating this thing that he wants to, us to take seriously the literal world. You know that this is the world and we're at the center of the universe and the northern and hemispheres and southern are real. But he's really more concerned with literally with what we do with our actions and how we deal with them. And um, in, in Purgatory, Dante makes it clear the higher you go up this mountain, the easier it gets because the more you get rid of your sins, the, the, the more goodness becomes a habit in your life, the more it becomes habitual to, to do good, the more that becomes a part of who you are, these other difficulties fall away. And remember, pride, pride, it, you carry pride through the whole thing. I mean, it's, the, it's the one, it's the basis of everything else. I think the issue here is um, that, that what Dante is showing in this relationship is that people are closer or farther away from beginning purgatory according to how responsible they were for becoming better people, for taking responsibility to become better, to, to not abuse their feelings. Maybe another better way of putting it. So, for example, Manfred is excommunicated. He has to wait 30, I think it's 30 times his lifetime before he can get there. The others won't have, these were cut off suddenly. So, and remember, um, Bioconte is the one who died or was about to die and at the very end of his life in his last breath he said Mary so he was saved so what he's showing are degrees of distance away from something that reflect a refusal to take responsibility going back to God that they took it for granted took God for granted so instead of becoming more free they, re they remain more bound. If they had begun their, their penance earlier, they would have been farther along. So, um, so these are the worst, and these are the closest to beginning, because these, these, these had fewer excuses for delaying, because the princes were good men, but they were preoccupied, trying to do good. Sardello's ex, or Manfred's excommunicated. So he's showing us everybody's responsible. The question is, how, how seriously are you taking returning to God, being holy? Are you putting it off? Are you confessing? Are you not caring, which is what Balaka does? Let me, let's go to the book, because I want to read a couple of things before we leave. Could I ask a question? Does it, does it mean when you hit the top level and it's all gone, that you enter heaven sinless? Right. Okay. Right. Thank you. Right. Exactly. We will be with him, for we shall be. We we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That we can't see Christ until we are like him. Until our sins are. Nobody can get into heaven with sins. Nobody. So if you don't have to go through purgatory, that means you're there. Okay. Yeah. I mean, people did in this lifetime what 
we're all asked to do. This is a tough book. Tough book. Take a look on page 27. This is Sordello, and I love this. This um, Remember, every canto is going to reveal the nature of the sin, the nature of what's wrong. Um, but it's also going to be an occasion for Dante to, sh to enlarge the picture, to, to give us a larger picture of what's going on. Page 226. Um, o Mantua, I am Sordello of your own town, the two shades embraced. This is um, Sordello and Virgil. A slavish Italy, the home of grief, ship without a pilot, caught in a raging storm, no queen of provinces, whorehouse of shame. Doesn't get, remember the city, the image of the city dominated Dante's thinking and dominated Shakespeare. We live in a narrow world. In psychology, we go into ourselves or family relationships, but beyond that, no. Don, the defining image for Dante and Shakespeare were the city. It helped. It helped make better sense of our relationships with each other. It's a larger world. How quick the noble soul was to respond to the mere sound of his sweet city's name by welcoming his fellow citizen. Go down, O wretched Italy, search all your coasts. Probe your very center. Can you find within you any part that is at peace? Remember, everybody's at war. These wars about attachments to the emperor of the church, Ghibellines and Guelphs and whites and blacks. Top of 227. You priests who should pursue your holiness, remembering what God prescribes for you. Let Caesar take the saddle as he should. See how this beast has grown viciously wild without the rider's spurs to set her straight, since you dared to take the reins into your hands. O German Albert, the emperor, you abandoned her, allowing her ungoverned to run wild. You should have been astride her saddle bow. Let a just judgment fall down from the stars upon your house, his whole, his whole, and the, the dynasty, dynastic line, one unmistakable and strange enough to terrify your heir. You and your sire whom greed for greater wealth holds back up there have let this come to pass. The garden of the empire is laid waste. Go down. Come, heartless one. Come see your noblemen who suffer. The nobles are suffering. Help them heal their wounds. Come see how safe it is to dwell in Santa Fiore. Come see your city, Rome, in mourning now, widowed, alone, lamenting, night and day. My Caesar, why have you abandoned me? What's that an echo of? Christ on the cross. Christ on the cross. Except the relationship here is defined in political terms. Caesar, remember Christ, given to Caesar what Caesar is, given to God what's God. Christ says to the Father, why have you abandoned me? Sordello is saying, think about the implications of this. My Caesar, why have you abandoned me? What's the problem here that Dante's showing us? And what's the use of this metaphor of the horse? Without the rider's spurs to set her straight, since you dared to take the reins into your hands, O German Albert, you abandoned her, allowing her ungoverned to run wild. You should have been astride her saddle, saddle bow. What's going on? Could you say there's no sternness in the way that that's being dealt with? I think that's at the heart of it. Can you define, be clear, David, on, yeah, at the nature, what specifically? Certainly, I think that's at the start, at the center of it, but sorry? The government's failing its people. Why? Because they're just not taking action. 
You're not doing anything about the problem. That's half of it. You priests who should pursue your holiness, remembering what God prescribes for you, let Caesar take the saddle as he should. To the priest. And I, I, I forget which pope it was, but I think at one point in time there was a pope that was trying to be responsible for both both government and right. both for state and right. the church. And so what was happening is you had you know, a pope that was trying to take over everything and you had a, a government that wasn't being Albert, well. who's not wasn't doing trying it, yeah. to right. you know, keep that submerged. What happens when the when hap the Dad is gonna clarify this um canto by canto, level by level. Because he'll say again and again, um, we'll come to it again, he'll say, I can't remember the words, but the, the Pope, the, the priest, who should um, chew the cud, that is, he should be meditating. It's not the Pope's role to govern politics. When he does, politics will get soft. That is, compassion will come in, it'll get soft, and it'll be easier for people to break laws. Look at the imagery. Without the rider's spurs, the setter, that is, to, to tame a wild beast, a horse that's not been trained, you need to have real control of that animal or that animal will go nuts. If you put the priest in that saddle where he doesn't belong, because the, that is, remember, given to Caesar what Caesar's, given to, now take a look at our world today, if I can, I'm, I'm going to, this is, I'm going to be, I'm trying to be careful, so forgive me if I'm stepping on you, but, but, the liberal left has become known f for its compassion. If your whole response is compassion and you don't enforce laws, if you don't put the spurs behind them, what happens? A people, an entire people, becomes lawless. Sure. Lawless. Merchant of Venice. Sorry? The Merchant of Venice. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at a whole nation. Well, there's no boundaries. There's no laws, right? Well, All of it, yeah. So what this is Dante's invective against the, the disorders that have led to the ruin of Italy, that the Pope has exceeded his powers and Caesar has withdrawn his powers. That, um, and here that image, come see your city, Rome, in mourning now, my Caesar, why have you abandoned me? We're watching a culture go to hell. It's becoming lawless. Remember all the oh, wretched Italy, search all your coast probe, is there any peace? People are killing each other. It's because the civic leader, the, the, the leader of the world, Caesar, whatever, at whatever level, nation, city, you know, is not enforcing the laws. Priest is not doing what he should be doing, which is con his concern for the souls of people, prayer, and that's in some ways too reversed, and it's led to all these problems. I want to go, I, I know that this is a big jump, but I, I just um, go to that point where Dante actually is taken up to St. Peter's Gate. Remember, um, we don't have time to read this, but on page 241, at the hour when the swallow close to dawn begins to sing her melancholy lays, perhaps remembering her ancient woes, and when our mind far strain from the flesh lest tangled in the network of its thoughts become somehow prophetic in its dreams. What a beautiful line, because it's Dante's way of saying that very often things in our dreams are prophetic because they get loosened from the fetters of our worldly cares. What, what reason, remember what reason can do, because so long as we're in a world where, in which reason dominates and we think reason's sufficient, we're always blind to something, because there's some things reason can't see. 
So in the, in the morning hours, in sleep, we very often get these dreams that, that may contain something prophetic, if we could see them correctly. You know, and I, I think the, the core of Dante, the core that Dante would have in the modern world, is that we've got rationalists who, who don't believe in supernatural things, who are using reason, like Freud, as a principle to interpret dreams when there's a spiritual dimension beyond what reason can do. Dante's at sleep, he has this dream, and Lucia, remember she's, Mary gets Lucia, Lucia gets Beatrice, Beatrice, Lucia comes to take him up to the gate. He comes to the gate on page 242, you must not be afraid, my leader said, take heart for we are well along our way, do not hold back, push on with all your strength. Now they come to, Virgil is describing what happened, Lucia came to him, top of 243, a lady came, she said, I am Lucia, come let me take this man who lies asleep. I wish to speed him on his journey up. What's happening here is exactly what happened when Dante entered hell. When he entered hell, he was unconscious. Because the first steps into sin are always unconscious, we're never aware of them. What Dante's making clear here is the first steps into grace, into penance, are never conscious. Whether we know it or not, when those impulses come, to do something, the first who's got the first initiative in the universe? God, right? We're secondary causes. If there's anything pushing us towards salvation, even if it comes to our mind and we think, we don't think about it, we just think, I'm going to do this. Whether we know it or not, for Dante, there's an illumination, that prompting towards another world. Remember, he wanted to go up that mountain at the beginning but he couldn't do it himself, he needed help. Now he's had that help, and now at a major stage, Lucia's helping again, she's taking him, because we can't make that move without help, without a grace. She brings him to the mountain <clears throat> on 244. He, he, he's presented to the three steps that he has to cross to enter purgatory, to begin penance. Middle of 244, we reached the steps. White marble was the first and polished to the glaze of a looking glass, like a mirror. I saw myself reflected as I was. The second was deeper, dark than purse, of rough, of rough and crumbling fire-corroded stone with cracks along its surface, length and breadth. The third one, lying heavy at the top, appeared to be a flaming porphyry, red as the blood that spurts out from a vein. What's the significance of climbing those three steps? White, black, red. Confession, contrition, and forgiveness. Or three, the three steps of you know, well, I don't. I'm not sure forgiveness. It, the third one, I think, is purifying fire. That he, we, to to begin penance, we have to see ourselves as we are. So we look in a clear glass. This, this is who I am. The second one, and notice the description, polished, the, or uh, rough and crumbling, fire-corroded stone, cracks across its surface. That is, we have to learn to see our sins as they are, we, the sinfulness of our nature, what we do. And the other, flaming porphyry, I think it's the, the, the purgatory fire. It's the... It's the cleansing. Yeah, right. The forgiveness. Well... I want to hold off on that term. It's it's the hold off on that. It's the it's the work of purgation of, of of it's a purifying fire. We have to undergo a fire, 
something that's painful that is the work of purgation. Um, <coughs> look at the what happens next, because it goes right to the homily. God, this is amazing, the reading this morning. Um, the guardian puts the seven Ps on Dante's head, top of 245. Once entered here, be sure you cleanse away these sins. Um, go down at the bottom, then pushing back the portal's holy door, enter, he said to me, but first be warned. To look back means to go back out again. You want to go back to that world? You can have it. Your choice, free choice. You want to go on? You have to give these things up. But I want to look at these two keys. The guardian brings out these two keys. He reached beneath them and drew out two keys. One key was silver, the other gold. First he applied the white one, then the yellow. With, with that the gate responded to my wish. What are the two keys? In fact, that was the reading this morning. Peter, remember, who do they say I am? Christ, and he immediately follows and says, on this rock I'll build you. I'll build the church and gave him the keys. What are the two keys? Golden, gold and silver. <coughs> I guess it's white gold, yeah? First he applied the white one, then the yellow. Or is the white one silver and the yellow gold? I don't What's the gold and silver? What are the key, those two keys? <coughs> and notice they're together. They're not one. There's two keys. <coughs> I think the gold is the authority that Christ gives Peter. How great it is. Father, I thought Father Flynn was so solid on this. <coughs> He gives Peter this extraordinary authority, I hope we all are aware now, because what Peter's going to have to deal with in the world is not going to be easy. If you minimize that authority, he's not going to, or put it differently, he's not going to be able to deal with evil. It's just too great. So the goal is um, authority, one key, to, to have the authority to, to loosen and to bind and loosen to let Dante go through um, <clears throat> because clearly some people are going to be turned away yeah so that authority to make a judgment but um, equally importantly is the yellow one which I believe is the practical application of that authority they have the wisdom to do it now let me try to make this clear if you if you go back in the middle of I've got a I think next week we'll start because I'm going to stop with this But here. If you go back to Guido um, in the Inferno, it's the, it's the Guido that, that Elliot used as the, rub or the, uh, the rubric, the, what's the, you know, the head quote for Prufrock was that passage taken from the Inferno. <coughs> it's the epigram, that quote that begins Prufrock. Um, it's from Guido who's saying, I, I'm going to tell you this because I don't believe it's ever going to get back out of the world. And, you know, that's a way of saying, Prufrock's in his own world, he doesn't, doesn't want anything getting out. He's, he's so enclosed in his own world. But the other interesting thing about that Guido passage is, God, um, that Guido's story is, the Pope, Boniface, in Dante's time, the Pope... Um, 
was opposed by lots of Catholic families. I should go. I'm going to start next week. I'm just going to mention it now, but next week I'm going to start with that because it's too important. The, um, the the Pope was opposed by a number of Catholic families for his policies, and one of them was so influential that he actually went to war with it. And Donnie was outraged because in that passage you'll say he didn't go to war with the Jews or the infidels, the Muslims, even though even though Christians, Catholics at, at that time, were forbidden to, to do any commerce with the Islamic world because they were heretical. Um, um, the Pope goes to Guido and tells him he will forgive him in confession if he does this act, if he tells him how to defeat this Catholic family. And the, and the Pope gathers his papal armies and goes to war with this family. So, and Dante sees that's one of the reasons Guido was damned because he violated a sacrament. What he did, and, and, the, and Boniface did too in doing that, saying, I'll give you this. Hmm. Because the whole purpose, the, 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 the validity of the sac sacrament depends on your, on your spirit, whether you're contrite or penitent or not. If you're not contrite, if you're not feeling remorse for what you did, it's an unreal, you know, you're not there in faith. You're doing it because you're saying, I want forgiveness. You just bought him off. Yep, exactly. It's a good, so what, what Dante's showing is the Pope in the way that he applied his authority, abused it. Now think about, there's two things here. If you've committed a sin and you regret it, there's two options. You need both keys, not one or the other. You have to have the authority to wash away that sin, to, to forgive it. Um, or you're left with despair, which is the gorgon, or Guido, who abused it. It's only when you use both keys properly that a soul enters. So what, what is a soul key then? It's, it's the practical wisdom with which to apply the authority that you have. Because just, I mean, as a, I know this is a generalization, but take it as that. We know that priests don't always use their office wisely. You know that, I mean, we know that with all the scandals going on. That, so, but the issue here for dying, remember this is purgatory, this is penance. When you enter into it, you're either doing it because you're, you're in, you genuinely regret what you've done and you want to change, or you're being bought off and you're not changing at all and you're abusing a sacrament, a grace that's being offered to you. It's like putting a nail in Christ. I mean, you're, you're violating it. It's not real. So both keys are needed. The authority to bind and loosen and the wisdom with which to apply it because the combination is so dangerous. If you have one without the other, you've got despair or guido. You've got a, an abuse. <coughs> so <coughs> Dante's climbed three steps. The keys have loosened the door, and Dante's ready to begin purgatory. It depends to see it. So, so I wanted to ask the obvious question then: if, if you go to confession and it's the wrong priest, does it count? If your heart is contrite, yeah, that's really good. You, the okay. donus, the donatus, um, heresy. Both of the keys actually belong to the, the, you know, for lack of a better phrase, the priest, right? I mean, it's not really the. It's it's Peter's, but it's right, right. But so the, yes, it's important. How important is it that the priest that you go to have the right keys? 
Here, hold on, hold on. Well, no, that they apply it. Hold on, because you, yeah, right, I know. The Donatist heresy that emerged during, we talked about it when we did the uh, Protestant thing, was that some of these reformers believed that when a priest was in sin, the sacraments were invalidated. And that goes back as far as Augustine and forward. And the church's position on that has never wavered. Um, if a priest administers a sacrament, even if he's in sin, the sacrament's still valid. So, and one of them is confession. Um, so if a priest administers confession, even if there's something wrong with a priest, it doesn't invalidate. If your soul is contrite, and he gives you that blessing, like a, a priest who's in sin who offers the Eucharist, it's still valid. Um, what's at issue with the yellow key is, let's just take confession. I, this is a murky, murky area again, but let's say that in the way that a priest does it, there's something about the way he practically applies that authority then. He may undermine in some way. I mean, I, you know, there are priests who, who very often see the um, confession as a, as a time of psychological therapy. I mean, some priests will approach it that way. When it's supposed to be a moment of atonement, of um, forgiveness. Um, in the abstract, let's leave it there. In the abstract, what Dante's showing is that both of those keys are necessary because one without the other will lead to the problems that I just mentioned. You, you either have despair in the Gorgon, the Medusa, or you've got the abuse of the authority and you've got um, Guido, um, um, the Montefeltro in hell, who, who is there partly because, partly because he, he abused that with the Pope. Okay, um, a lot here. We're, we're going to be able to move up purgatory much more quickly now with all these principles. You guys all have a good week. Don't help me quickly. Quickly, help me. This is... Oh, wow. I don't know. I'm still trying to find my way through the Yeah, well, you're doing a better job than most. No, but see... This is dangerous. Really dangerous. I came from a long line of Baptists in my family, yeah. many generations, but I just never felt quite right. Put on a May and you should <laughs> write, really, you should write, write like I'll remember this. It should, it should. started going to Catholic Church, that's when I... Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I won't tell you how many years it took to convert, but uh, well, they find the You can't just overnight. Well, I mean, you could some magical yeah. gift from God, but I'm just saying. If Paul knocks you off, or Christ knocks you off your horse on the way to your hands. That will do it. Yes, God knocks you off your horse. It takes you a while to climb back so up. So your middle name is Paul? <laughs> no, should be not even close. Not even in the same oh, ballpark. That's, that's great. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. I was blind for like twenty-seven. Wait <laughs> hey, one second. <laughs> Okay, you're Francis and again. Francis. F and F. F and F. Oh, hold on. Come here. I always. <laughs> I always.
I always look out and see that big smile in yours and those eyes that are always probing and so serious. Um, I thought you were pretty good. Oh, what's that? I thought coming over here today very close to repetition. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, 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 no. I mean, I hadn't ever gone to two in a row. We normally do nine nights. But now the way things are, I mean, you come because you pick up pearls of wisdom that are different. No, I'm serious. I'm very serious. And see, he, he didn't give himself enough credit to the way that he touches me. He touches me. Now, Oh yeah. That that's what happened. Mucho bright. Yes. So, yeah. I'm just saying so this is did Oh, I'm glad you came. And, and I will say, say to my wife, I wish I had this 20 years ago. She said, yeah, you might not have been able to receive it. This. If I was standing next to You know, and the other thing is that he records. Once again, he records. 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 He records.